SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Does anybody have any defense anymore in the NFL, or is this just the 2020 season? Good afternoon. Welcome to Fantasy Sports Today. I'm Craig Mish along with Joe Pizapia. We're going to have to start asking that question because in fantasy football, we're headed toward unprecedented numbers in 2020. And on Monday night, it was really no different. Basically, the Saints couldn't stop the Raiders. The Raiders did a halfway decent job stopping the Saints for the most part. But we're on an all-time scoring record in week two of the NFL. We're on pace to shatter every single record in the NFL. And uh, Joe, I, I think that there probably will be a defense or two to emerge and actually look good at some point this season outside of maybe Baltimore, but for the most part, uh, I don't even know that 130 or 140 standard or even PPR fantasy points is going to be enough to get it done this year. Which is amazing because the inverse happened last year at the beginning of the season. If you recall, we had the New England Patriots, which is basically a free defense, the 49ers defense, a couple defenses that were literally winning people weeks in fantasy for basically the first half of the season. And if defense wins championships, then the Chargers right now, I think, are going to be a playoff team because they did a great job of stopping Joe Burrow week one. And I think we have a little bit more perspective. We're going to give Joe Burrow kind of a pass there because then we saw the Chargers go out there and basically shut down Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs for almost four quarters. So all of a sudden, those Chargers defensively look pretty good. And we'll see what happens with the quarterback position. But you're not wrong. Defense so far has been hard to find in the NFL in the first two weeks of the season. Yeah, it's, it's it's really remarkable, you would think, to this point. And it's interesting, some of the conversations that I'm having just with people and, and play, play fantasy, they're asking me the same questions, like, who do you pick for a defense? And, and I think that we've talked about it, and the Indianapolis Colts certainly are really up there. But then you ask yourself this question, they looked horrible against Jacksonville, and then they faced Kirk Cousins. So, I mean, it's a huge question, I think, for fantasy. But it's uh, where we're going to start here on the show today, and we'll have a little fantasy reality. We'll ask that question as well. Uh, hopefully, you guys are having a great day here on this Tuesday. Coming up a little bit later, we'll dive into a lot of waiver wire activity, what you should be doing. And also, we're going to be joined by Antoine Staley, who covers the Carolina Panthers. We'll break down both running backs. And I do think there will be two running backs heavily involved in the Panther system. But first, let's go to the headlines on this afternoon here on the 22nd of September. We start off with the Raiders throttling the Saints 34 to 24. It was a really good thing that I tuned this game in and saw that it was pretty much over from the beginning so I could just focus on the Marlins because that's basically <laughs> what I did last night. It, it, it really was not even as close as the score would indicate. Uh, look, the, the Raiders are 2-0. and and, and they look like a team to be reckoned with this year. But again, it's very early, so we won't go completely all in on Las Vegas. But that was a really great scene and good to see that as well. Uh, the Rams, late, late last night, ESPN reported that Cam Akers has a rib issue. Looks like he's not going to play this week. Malcolm Brown has a finger issue, too. So maybe it is all Daryl Henderson. Maybe it is not. Maybe it is both. We'll have to see what the Rams end up doing. But if you have Cam Akers, like me, in one of my leagues, I think it's time to hit the waiver wire. Uh, NFL coaches fined for not wearing masks. So a couple of guys fined yesterday. I would expect we'll have at least one or two more today. This is really embarrassing. There's just no reason why the coaches can't do this in the NFL. And it's super important because you don't know. And, and by the way, John Gruden, after the game last night, said that he had coronavirus. He's still not wearing a mask. Unbelievable to see this. But hopefully they get that fixed. I cannot imagine going into week three without a single coach wearing a mask. Just put on a mask. I mean, come on. Uh, Michael Jordan announced today uh, he's joining Denny Hamlin in NASCAR. They're going to basically have 
uh, their own garage. Pretty cool. And and Michael Jordan said that he was a huge NASCAR fan growing up in North Carolina. And so he's got more money than anybody that we know. And so he could buy all of NASCAR <laughs> probably if he wanted to. But the competitive nature in him, he's going to uh, certainly get out there. And then we'll get to a lot of baseball here coming up in about five minutes. But Joe Jacob deGrom uh, struck out 14 for the Mets. They lose last night 2-1. to one. And if the Mets lose tonight, they're out. Yeah. But yeah, 14 strikeouts, uh, lost two to one, give up uh, two runs, trick out 14 guys. I mean, basically, he has to be the offense, too. And he can't be anymore because now there's a DH. But DeGrom used to be able to swing the bat a little bit back in the day. Uh, that is just it's just the, the the tale of Jacob DeGrom with the New York Mets. It's been this for a few years. He keeps winning Cy Youngs and they can't win divisions. I don't know how many teams I'd love to go back and do some research on that. How many teams that have Cy Young Award pitchers multiple times? Don't make the playoffs. I just kind of wonder how many times that's happened. But uh, the Mets, the Mets can make it happen. But let's go back to that game for a second. And uh, it's hard. Look, I understand Michael Thomas was out of this game, and, and I get that. I understand week one, the, the Bucks defense is pretty good. But the Saints, to me, look a little old right now. And going to the Raiders side, great job by them opening up their new stadium. Uh, it was very exciting, I'm sure, for them. I thought they got a lot of push on that offensive line. They looked really strong, and I think they made some big holes there for Josh Jacobs two weeks in a row. Darren Waller is a matchup nightmare because he's too fast for the linebackers. He's too big for the cornerbacks to handle, and he basically ran amok in that game. But the Raiders last year played up and down to their opponents. So they would show up in games like this, and then games where they were supposed to win, they would not. So I want to see if that trend continues in 2020, because last year, this was their MO. You and I sat here on the show together on the radio version as we welcome in our radio audience here to Sports Grid for Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish and myself, Joe Pizapia. But last year, we thought, hey, look, they're right on the precipice of a playoff. Potentially, they're right there. And then they went and lost to the Jets. And then they lost another game. And all of a sudden, they were not in that playoff mix anymore. So this is a good start for the Raiders. But now it's time to also beat the teams that you're supposed to beat. And when you start doing that, that's when I'll start believing. But I think the Saints have a lot of questions right now. They look a little old and they look a little like the window might be starting to close a little bit. I know it's early, but it's not been a good two weeks here for the Saints. Yeah, and nine wins gets them in for sure this year because of the extra playoff spot in terms of the Raiders. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you said it best. We, we're going to have to wait and see on them a little bit. And the interesting part is that the uh, country had an opportunity to really see the coming out party for the Raiders on Monday night in their uh, on their new field and probably didn't see a single second of them play against Carolina. And they didn't look good at all in the game against Carolina. So we'll have fantasy standouts coming up next from last night in baseball and football. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back. This is Fantasy Sports Today on SportsGrid and SportsGrid.com. We cover fantasy sports for you. Of course, give you some wagering advice as well and take you into the reality of fantasy sports. I'm Craig Mish along with Joe Pizzapia. We're here every day from noon to 2 Eastern, so make sure you check us out on SportsGrid and SportsGrid.com. Also, you can catch our shows on demand on YouTube, and if you wouldn't mind, if you enjoy the show, leave us a comment. Also, like and subscribe to the show as well. Uh, well, a big win last night for the Las Vegas Raiders as they defeat the New Orleans Saints, and yet another Monday night home dog comes in. It is like 
clockwork, man. Like, it's just, it doesn't matter who the teams are. It's just, you could just close your eyes and take a Monday night dog so far, two and one on the season. Uh, of course, next week, very interesting to see because we got uh, a really good game uh, coming up there as well. But, uh, Joe, let's dive into the game last night from a fantasy perspective. And let's start off with the quarterback position and take a look at Derek Carr, who threw for over 250 yards and three touchdowns. And maybe he's starting to figure out John Gruden's system. Really interesting to see Carr have that game against a pretty good team. Although I don't know who is a pretty good team anymore with all these points. Drew Brees even threw for 300 yards and looked awful. One touchdown, one interception. It's like you could live with that too. Uh, Alvin Kamara, 13 carries on the ground, 79 yards, two touchdowns, also caught nine balls. And so Kamara's in monster mode already early on in the season. Jacobs, uh, you had to grind out his yards, 27 for 86, so a subpar game for him. You think you need 15 points from him, he probably would get it. Didn't get it yesterday. Uh, Darren Waller, who at this stage has to be considered, I don't know, maybe the top tight end fantasy, number two, number three. It's just unbelievable. 12, ca- uh, 12 receptions, 103 yards. It's 20 points from tight end. Traquan Smith was pretty good. Five receptions, 86 yards. And maybe this is the start of something positive for him. And, and did get some in garbage time as well. But, Joe, look, the Raiders looked very good offensively, there's no doubt. Uh, I'm curious to see, and I know that we'll have Dr. Chow on the show tomorrow, what Michael Smith, uh, what Michael Thomas's status will be. Because, look, there's no doubt that, I mean, he's the best player on the field, probably on both sides, mm-hmm. and he wasn't involved in the game. I still don't think they would have won with him yesterday. But I think that's probably the missing element for the Saints right now. It probably is. And, like, uh, exactly. If uh, when he comes back, that is the cure all for everything. However, regardless, there were a lot of issues last night for the Saints. And um, I would say Darren Waller was definitely one of those issues. And he's a matchup disaster, as I was talking about in the last segment. And going into this year, this is why I really did not want to go after that elite group of tight ends, because I thought that soft middle grouping where you had Mark Andrews and Darren Waller, kind of like that 1A grouping, was a far better return on investment, and it would allow you to get your running backs and wide receivers situated first, and then the fourth, fifth round. I mean, look, we did a lot of drafts there at the bottom of the tier in the last couple weeks before the season here on this program, and there were a few that had Darren Waller in it, and they were basically a fourth, fifth, sixth round pick, depending on where he fell, depending on where the draft slot was, and this is why, because he's capable of these kind of games. And Derek Carr struggled early in this game and then kind of got on track, which was great, because I think Derek Carr of old, you'd see him struggle and then lose confidence and stop taking shots and stop doing things. But I think the 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 unsung hero of this game for the Raiders has got to be the offensive line. I'm telling you, they played very well last night, all things considered. Saints made a couple uh, of mistakes. You knew it was going to be a Kamara game. We talked about this yesterday. Kamara on the road for the Saints, always very good. Guess what? Another huge fantasy day for him. You can always lock that up in Daily Fantasy. Unfortunately for this one, it was Monday night game, so you didn't get to play it on the main slate in FanDuel. But going forward, that's something to always keep in mind. You fade Drew Brees, even Michael Thomas to a certain extent on the road, and you go and you favor Alvin Kamara. That first week against Tampa was always going to be tough because Tampa's run defense is very good. But the Saints have a lot of issues. Traquan was good. I did not see that coming. I still was skeptical. I'm less skeptical now. It was a good game for him. So if you picked him up and you had to stream him this week, if you were a Michael Thomas owner, that was the best you could do. You did okay. It wasn't a terrible outing from him, especially in full point PPR. But let's see. Let's see who the Las Vegas Raiders are in the first couple of weeks to come here because next week they go to New England. I imagine they'll play up to their competition there. It's those lesser opponents where I really want to see what they can do. Yep, and the Patriots, pretty big favorites over uh, over the Raiders as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's move on to Major League Baseball from last night. Two names that you'll need to pay attention to for next year, but have really burst onto the scene this year. Alejandro Kirk, never heard of him two days ago. 
and in, I believe, his second game ever, goes four for four and hits a home run last night for the Toronto Blue Jays. So a potential catching situation there. Their catching situation has been a disaster for uh, for Toronto between McGuire and Jansen, some of these other guys. Kirk could be a name, so yeah. circle that one for next year. Also, Jared Walsh, this is not, I think this is like the second or third time we brought him up. And and honestly, I had no awareness of this player as of two weeks ago. He already has eight home runs. He's only played in like 20 games. Uh, he had a grand slam last night, 23 runs driven in. If you want to see something scary, do a search to see RBI leaders in 2020 and how many people are behind Jared Walsh in RBIs for this 60-game season. This kid is just I mean, out of nowhere. So uh, a name also for next year we'll definitely have to keep in mind. Jose Ramirez's MVP push continues. He hit his 16th. Eloy Jimenez hit his 14th. On the opposite side for the White Sox, we mentioned DeGrom with 14 strikeouts. John Lester, also great as they head to the postseason. Lester probably pitches game two or game three. And then Marco Gonzalez, one of the real unsung heroes in fantasy. Uh, seven wins on the year, eight innings pitched, <laughs> no earned runs, six strikeouts uh, for him. Uh, but one of the other stories that's going on and becoming very interesting is to see the emergence of the Cincinnati Reds. A week and a half ago, it looked like the Reds were done even with that great pitching staff and hitting. But Eugenio Suarez has come alive. Mike Moustakis hit a home run for the Reds last night and after the game talked about just how well he and the team is playing. Yeah, it uh, <clears throat> means a lot, obviously. It's a huge win for us, uh, you know, against the Brewers. You know, they're they're right right on us. And, uh, you know, this is a huge series, um, especially going into this last couple series of the year. Um Every game is a, a little bit meaning, more meaningful with what we got going on. So um, we just got to continue to go out there and put good at-bats together and um, just score enough runs uh, so our pitching staff can go out, out there and do what they do. And, um, again, Louis threw a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal game for us tonight, and our bullpen did great. But, um, you know, that's tonight. We got to look forward to tomorrow and uh, get, a, get a job done against a great baseball team over there. And I think at this point, we start to identify teams that are, are pushing and getting into the postseason that you don't want to see in the first round. And, Joe, I think the Reds may be one of those teams. Let's take a look at what they have done recently. It is really impressive. They've moved over 500 now for the first time in uh, two months, 28 and 27 with a 509 winning percentage. They're third in the NL Central, so they still have an opportunity to get the two spot, which is a guaranteed appearance in the postseason. Right now, they're seventh in the wild card race, seventh overall, so they're a wild card, and they're eight and two in their last 10 games. And I think, Joe, going into the year, we knew that the Reds had a chance to make the postseason, but they were one of those really big disappointments after a month. And here they are now, arguably with three really strong pitchers that I think some team is going to have to run into next week. Yeah, and Winker carried them for quite a while there where some of the injuries happened and some of the quiet bats have happened, but they've definitely picked things up. It's funny, we sat here, what, like about a month ago, and we were talking about, we did a little segment here on the program before football started about FIP and ERA. And who was one of the guys on that segment? It was Luis Castillo. I said, look, buy this guy. The ERA is around four right now, but the FIP is way better. He's having a lot of bad luck, a lot of bad BABIP. All that stuff's going to correct itself eventually because he's pitching well. And guess what? That ERA is well under three now. So all of a sudden, things like that matter. And that's one of those stats that's so easy to find in terms of uh, you're looking at guys and uh, do either trade or trade away, uh, trade for. And when you look at the FIP and the ERA, it's one of the easiest things to look at to evaluate in a fantasy realm of understanding where the pitching market is and where the value might be in order to acquire some of these guys. But the Reds are absolutely going to be tough in a playoff because of Castillo, because of Sonny Gray, because of Trevor Bauer, who's pitched like a Cy Young this year. 
And because of guys like Mike Moustakis, who is a winner perennially, this is a guy that won with Kansas City. That's not a mistake. This is a guy that showed up in Milwaukee the last two years, and guess what they won? He's a top of the step of the dugout kind of guy. He's a very intense guy, and I think that kind of addition, along with Castellanos, has been huge for the Reds. Suarez getting hot. He had a home run last night. All of a sudden, the Reds are clicking at the right time, and that could be very dangerous for the rest of the National League. And, and look, Milwaukee is no slouch. I mean, this guy Corbin Burns has been their best pitcher all year long, and he's going to have an opportunity to face the Reds. And, and the Brewers are not done either. But I would tell you this, uh, tonight is probably do-or-die time for Milwaukee. I don't think that they can fall two games back uh, of Cincinnati. They're going to have to get a win tonight. And it's exciting, this final week of the season. In fact, we got a game coming up here, 305 Eastern, between the Philadelphia Phillies and Washington Nationals. Phillies play two games today with a playoff live on the line. We got the news update coming up next and then the NBA tip drill. Stay tuned. Stay on the grid. We'll be right back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Hey, what is going on? I am Greg Sussman, joined today by Jeremy Stein of SportsGrid. We're here to break down with me game three of the Western Conference Finals. What's going on, Jeremy? Not too much. We had a wild finish to game two. Looking forward to an exciting game three. It was an awesome finish to game two. Back and forth, Jokic and AD went, and tonight you're fading one of those players. But it's not Anthony Davis. Davis is your MVP tonight. He's the second highest priced player on the board, but he's been the hottest player in this series. He's priced at 15,500, both on the offensive and the defensive end. He has been unstoppable. And that is the reason why he is in this slot again tonight. He is still priced less than LeBron James for some reason. And he is just going up against Jokic, who is not great on the defensive side of the court. Davis has been pretty much unstoppable, and he is an absolute lock at that position tonight. Absolutely. Davis is playing better offensively and defensively than seemingly anybody in the league right now. As one of the best players in the NBA, it's his time to shine. It's first pace of the Western Conference Finals, and it's going very, very well. We mentioned that you're fading Jokic, but you're not fading the Nuggets as a team, of course, because you are going with Jamal Murray as your star player tonight. Murray is priced at $13,000, and I think Murray is probably my favorite player on this slate outside of AD. Because if the Nuggets are going to get back in the series, it's going to be on the back of Jamal Murray. He played 44 minutes in game two. And tonight, that number could even grow if the Nuggets need it to. Exactly. He, it's entirely possible that he plays the entire game. And I think what you're going to see happen, and we talked about this last time, was that we weren't quite sure how the defense was going to converge on whether Jokic or Murray. And clearly, Murray is the more consistent of the two. And I think that in game three, they're going to try to shut down Jokic. So that leaves a lot more upside for Murray. He's the primary ball handler. The offense is running through him, and he's a much cheaper option. So I really like him in this spot. I think Jamal Murray is a must start here at the star player position. And I think AD and Jamal Murray are honestly both locked. I, I don't know how you go in a different direction, but these are the guys exactly uh, how you should start your lineups. I think where we go next is more interesting here, Jeremy, because 
We talked about fading Jokic. You're also fading LeBron James completely tonight. You're not putting LeBron and that high price salary in your lineup. He's $16,000. Instead, you're going cheaper. But obviously, by going away from LeBron and going away from Jokic, you can really balance out your lineup. And that's what you're doing here at the pro position where you're going with Danny Green. He's priced at $9,000 on FanDuel this evening. So what goes into the process of fading not just Jokic, but also LeBron James? So LeBron had a great half in game two. There is no arguing that. But AD is playing so well that what you're starting to see is the defense converge and collapse around him because Jokic needs all the support. So that is leaving a lot of opportunities for the wings to get wide open shots. And Danny Green has been a very consistent performer in this series. And I think he's going to get even more opportunities this upcoming game. And if he is knocking down those outside shots, he is going to have a great multiplier effect. With the way the Lakers are operating offensively, going through Anthony Davis, it's, well, getting it to the wings and they're going to hit their shots. Danny Green is that type of player. We've seen it before in the playoffs. We've seen it this series. Uh, AD to Danny Green has been a good combination. And tonight, at $9,000, it's worth taking a shot on Green so you make a little money here as your pro. LeBron James is the primary ball handler for the Lakers, but quite often you're seeing Alex Caruso with the ball in his hands. He's priced at $8,000 tonight, and Caruso had an opportunity before Anthony Davis did uh, in game two. Didn't make it, but Caruso, he's a major player for this Lakers team. He has been, as you said, a major player. He's coming off the bench, and he is performing exceedingly well. He's only $8,000 tonight, which makes him a great candidate to hit value. We're only looking for him to score two times his salary, and he's been performing well above that this series due to his consistency and largely due to the fact that he is getting a lot of those bench minutes. So he's a great option tonight at the utility position if you're looking for salary cap relief. Obviously, benches are shorter here in the Western Conference Finals. And Alex Caruso, a major role off the bench. Minutes increasing because Frank Vogel's not going that deep anymore. Alex Caruso is a major cog for this Lakers team. And at just $8,000, he does seem like a lot to hit value this evening. Jeremy Stein, we appreciate the time. Good luck tonight. Thanks. Looking forward to Game 3. Absolutely. Tonight should be fun. Between the Nuggets and the Lakers, Game 3, we cannot wait. For Jeremy Stein, I am Greg Saucer. Thanks so much for watching. Enjoy the game tonight. And we'll see you back here tomorrow as we preview Game 4 of the Eastern Conference Finals. Welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. Thanks again to Greg and Jeremy. We'll look forward to the game tonight. We'll touch on it a little bit later in the show. Uh, through two weeks, Joe, of the fantasy football season, we're starting to get a little bit more data in, and that's really important for those people who play and want to move forward by figuring out who potentially they can get and certainly maybe even if the numbers aren't there necessarily, the targets are, and I think that's the focus of what we're trying to do here. Yeah, it's who's becoming a focal point in the offense, who's getting opportunities to score fantasy points, and also, to a certain extent, uh, value can be dictated quite a bit uh, based upon the matchups you've had in the first two weeks, too. Uh, Preston Williams, for instance, right? A guy who's getting a lot of targets, hasn't converted a lot for the Dolphins, yet at the same time, he's played against Stephon Gilmore in week one and then played against the Bills this past week. So I don't want to give him a pass completely. But he becomes an intriguing buy low. And I think when you look at some other guys, too, there's some surprises here. Some of these players are available on the waiver wire. 
or via trade right now, potentially, that are getting a fair amount of opportunity in terms of the target share uh, for their teams and important stats to look at, the surprising stats of the year. So let's take a look at the wide receivers and the surprising stats are in these targets. David Moore, that's a shocking one up there towards the leaderboard of 22 in the first two weeks. And I understand this last week, uh, obviously on Sunday night, they were to continue to score points and push the ball. But playing Dallas this week, probably going to be another over game is 55. It's a good chance David Moore is going to show up again. Russell Gage continues to be engaged, if you will. Uh, it's a no, terrible dad joke, but I'm going to make it anyway <laughs> in the offense. And Russell Gage right now at 21 targets so far. Considering how much Calvin Ridley has accomplished, how much Julio Jones has accomplished, it's kind of staggering that over two weeks he's at that number. Nikhil Harry, that number is slowly ticking up. He's looking better and better. And maybe it was just injuries, maybe just didn't jive with Tom Brady for whatever reason. But so far, it seems like Nikhil Harry is starting to grow into the player we were excited about last year. Now, he is most likely a free agent. We're going to get a lot more about him and Gage uh, tomorrow in the show on Waiver Wire. But I'm going to tell you right now, Nikhil Harry is definitely a stock up right now. He seems to be a guy that's really working well with Cam Newton, and he's got a good matchup this week. And then there's Robbie Anderson, who a lot of people, including myself, were very skeptical could work with Teddy Bridgewater. But so far, Teddy Bridgewater is at least looking for him. 18 targets on the year, and that first game was very good for him. Uh, Carolina is going to always be playing from behind because of the defense. And I think when you look at that target share number, Robbie Anderson becomes a viable wide receiver three most weeks right now. And now when you have uh, Christian McCaffrey out for a few weeks, they have to throw the ball even more potentially. So Robbie Anderson, Moore, Ridley, Nikhil Harry, these are four guys in the first two weeks who are seeing a ton of action, a ton of opportunity, and hopefully will continue to convert, if not improve their conversion, of that opportunity into fantasy points. Yeah, and Gage in particular is an interesting one because after week one, it was really unclear as to which way Matt Ryan would go with the football. But as we're seeing, uh, double coverage on Julio Jones is opening it up for Ridley and in some ways Gage too. So there could be three viable wide receivers on the Falcons this year. In terms of quarterbacks, Joe, there's no doubt that uh, you know we have a lot of players here who were not taken as QB1s, but they're scoring potentially like QB1s. The only difficulty here is that a lot of the players who have been surprising, the players who have been good, have probably even been more surprising because their numbers have risen uh, quite a bit as well. Uh, but Cam Newton has 61 fantasy points through two weeks. Ryan Tannehill has uh, 46, Gardner Minshew 45, and Joe Burrow 41. Uh, but, Joe, the question that I guess that I would have to ask you is that, yeah, while they may be startable, sure, but look at all of the other quarterbacks who are putting up these monstrous numbers as well. Mm-hmm. You know, their numbers are better, and that's nice, but can you still even consider starting some of these guys? Because it's it's just been amazing to see the amount of points that are being scored. Yeah, and I think, look, these are guys, for the most part, with the exception of Cam Newton, they're on that fringe of QB1. And uh, Cam Newton's a guy that it's not surprising to see him get into fantasy relevance again because he uses his legs, because of the rushing touchdown equity that he brings on a weekly basis. So that's not a, a huge surprise. But this board is basically the lesson of in QB1 single quarterback leagues, right? You wait on quarterback. If you can't go out there and get Lamar, if you can't get Mahomes, yeah, there's some value there if you get a a good discount on Russell Wilson or Dak Prescott. And in a lot of the drafts we did here on the show, we got that discount in the sixth round spots like that. So we took it every time. But if not, why would you go for the Roethlisbergers and Breeze and Brady's of the world when you could just wait and take a shot on a couple guys later on? So far, Cam Newton's been great. I got to give Mike Tagliere all the credit in the world because 
he was Mr. Gardner Minshew going into this year. And I, I kind of got kind of roll my eyes like, I don't know, man. I don't know if I could buy into it. But so far, it's been pretty good. I mean, Minshew very, very well in fantasy. The Jaguars just car more points than I think any of us anticipated. Uh, Tannehill's been very good these first two weeks as well. Uh, this past week was outstanding. So that pads the stats a little bit. But the guy to really think about here is Joe Burrow and where he can finish. Because that first week, we all kind of said, oh, well, you know, it's the first rookie start, all this stuff. And now we have a little bit more perspective after watching the Chargers really take it to the Chiefs. And now I'm starting to think, wow, maybe that was the the low, low, low bar of what Joe Burrow can give us every week. And what we saw last week against Cleveland, all of a sudden, that's very exciting. And maybe going forward, that's more of the guy we're going to get. And if so, Joe Burrow's going to find himself probably finishing somewhere around 10, 11, 12 at QB1. And I think that he's a better option right now than Kirk Cousins. He's a better option right now than potentially Drew Brees, especially on the road. So I think there's a lot to look at here. There might be some guys even in single quarterback leagues that you might want to be adding just to have on your bench just in case going forward. And Burrow uh, looked fantastic uh, for his full year at LSU. He looked fantastic last week. Maybe that's something to build on. He's got an extra few days to get ready for his matchup this Sunday. All right, Hot Take Tuesday is next. We'll have it for you right here on Fantasy Sports Today. Make sure you stay on the grid. We'll be right back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Hey, welcome back. This is Fantasy Sports Today with you here on SportsGrid. It is Tuesday, so by tomorrow, you'll probably have to make some key decisions in terms of the waiver wire. We're going to touch on that on the show. Also, the latest in injury news from Dr. Chow, pro football doc. He'll be with us on the program tomorrow. But, Joe, of course, it is Tuesday, so it's time to take a little bit of a deeper look into fantasy football and start off with some potential uh, hot takes here on the show today, which we do. And so uh, let's go ahead and get started. That's a hot take. So you might want to open a window, but it's fall, so it's probably a good thing. All right, our first hot take of the day. Let's take a look at it. The Green Bay Packers are off to a 2-0 start, and one of the reasons why is because of Aaron Jones. And is it a hot take to say, Joe, that Aaron Jones is an elite fantasy running back? No, this is not a hot take. I think this is truth. I thought it was truth going into this year. I was stunned by the value of Aaron Jones slipping in drafts. I mean, even the last week running up until the start of the season, Aaron Jones consistently was a guy I could get in the second round. And look, you saw it here. How many times did we run those mock drafts for every spot where my number one or two running back was Aaron Jones? You know why? Because you're giving him to me for a discount. Why wouldn't I want to take him? He's involved in this offense. He's entrenched in this offense. He catch the football. Last year, he was the number two PPR running back. And I get it. I get the idea about the regression. Last year, he scored a ton of touchdowns, and that's not something you can count on. But he's off to a good start this year. And, Craig, I don't know about you, but I would rather have him than a lot of other RB1s right now. They're kind of floating around on the radar. So is Aaron Jones elite? Yes. Not a hot take. This, my friend, is truth. What do you think? Yeah, I think it is truth, too. I mean, based on the way that Aaron Jones has looked over the last couple of years, how can anybody have any doubt? And their offensive line is playing very well. It's interesting that they drafted another running back who we could end up seeing next year. But for this year, no, I think it's perfectly fine and well within the realm of possibility, especially given the couple of injuries that we've seen so far through the first week 
with the first pick and the second pick being out for a period of time. Maybe Aaron Jones at the end of the season's number one overall. Not impossible. All right, let's take yeah. a look at our second potential hot take. Is it? Is it not? C.D. Lamb, rookie wide receiver, is the best wide receiver on the Cowboys, Joe. Ooh, oh, this is tempting one. Mm, I love me some C.D. Let me tell you. First two weeks have been really good out of the gate. A lot to get excited about here. The Cowboys are having to throw the ball all over the place. And in crucial spots, it seems like Dak Prescott feels really comfortable. And I'll say this. I think he might have already gone past Michael Gallup. So I'm sorry for all those Michael Gallup fans out there that drafted him, thought he would be a really good value, just repeat what he did last year. Maybe, maybe he will. But every week that passes, it looks increasingly like CeeDee Lamb is at least number two. Now, I don't think he's number one. I know Amari Cooper hasn't scored a touchdown yet. I want to emphasize yet. He's had a ton of looks, a ton of catches, a ton of targets. So I'm still going to say he's the number one guy. But mm, CeeDee Lamb is number two with a bullet. So this is a hot take. But it's getting close, that's for sure. Uh, Craig, how about you? What are your thoughts on CeeDee Lamb? Is this a hot take? Is he the guy already, the best wide receiver on the Cowboys? Yeah, I mean, I don't think so. I think it's it's Cooper. Uh, but for me, I think that there's a chance that CeeDee Lamb at the end of the year looks like the number one guy. He's probably the most talented guy that they have. And remember, Cooper is not 22 years old anymore. So uh, I, I think it's hot for now, but I think that that could change very quickly. And it wouldn't surprise me if Lamb ends up taking over the number one job sooner than later. All right, let's take a look now at our third potential hot take of the day, and we're going to move on to the Los Angeles Chargers. Justin Herbert, after that performance, should be the Chargers starting quarterback this week. Joe? I got to tell you, that Chiefs defense is pretty good. They got after it week one. Frank Clark is a very scary player to be dealing with. And I was really impressed with Herbert. I mean, Herbert basically had no preparation for this game. It wasn't like he practiced with the ones all week and all of a sudden had the game plan and everything. I think it was astounding that he was able to go in there against the defending champs and throw for 300 yards and look pretty good. I mean, basically came within uh, one possession of winning this football game and what would have been a huge upset. Now, the defense did a lot of that work. And I think the Chargers are a pretty decent football team. I think they have a great coach. I think Anthony Lynn does a tremendous job over there with those guys. You drafted Herbert to play Herbert as the future. If he's going to be able to step into the role and look that good out of the gate, let's let him take his lumps here. And, and it's terrible because Tyrod for, for a few years now, a short end of a stick, man. Let me tell you, a guy can catch a break. He keeps landing in spots where they say, it's going to be your job. And the next thing you know, it's not his job way sooner than anticipated. And I think that's very difficult to deal with. And I feel bad for Tyler, but I don't think this is a hot take. I think he should be the quarterback. If you're a team that's looking for the future and you can be good in the present at the same time and want to do the, you want to put Herbert out there, Craig, it's time to just turn the page because look, you got a sneak preview of what the book looks like. And it wasn't so yeah, I, I would not do this, so I do think it is a hot take, and I'll tell you why. I do think that Justin Herbert should probably take over, but this goes beyond that, and it goes beyond that to other organizations and other teams. And if you're on the outside looking in and you're thinking about signing with the Chargers and you see how they basically dismissed Tyrod Taylor over something that essentially wasn't even his fault, where he had a reaction to an injection prior to the game, if that's how they're going to treat their free agents, I think they're going to have a hard time signing free agents. So I think that they got to give Taylor another opportunity. And I think it's more about that than the talent, because you're sending a really bad message, not only that, but to the team, if for some reason, something that's no fault of your own, you get benched. 
if that's the way that they're going to handle their players, I think it'll be looked at pretty poorly elsewhere. But may I that's ask just you a counterpoint? May I ask you a counterpoint to that? Let's say um, you are, you'll say you play well. Let's say you make the playoffs, you're a wild card team with Justin Herbert. Let's say you did turn the page and kid plays and Steve's really well. And all of a sudden, the Chargers look like a team that has a bright future. Is that not enough then to entice free agents to come there and play because you say, hey, look, they've got a quarterback in the future. I think when you look at it, you're not wrong what you're saying at all. But is it not enticing to say, look, this is something that's starting. They've got a young quarterback. They're on the upswing. Is that not enticing to a free agent to see the future kind of starting already for a team that could be with the arrow pointing up as opposed to a, a, a placeholder quarterback? Let's be honest. That's what Tyrod is. Right, but they're a fan. Players are family in the NFL, and when you have one player in your family being disrespected, um, gotcha. it, it gets around. It gets around. At least it's a for good me, conversation it, it to around. have. I think it's a. Like yeah, I, I, said, I don't. A, I don't. I think that you have to go about it the right way. He was supposed to be the starting quarterback. He didn't even get hurt. He had a reaction to something medically that shouldn't have happened. And I don't think that he should lose his job over that. If that was the deal going in, he should have the opportunity to start. Now, look, if he has a bad first half, pull the plug and go to Herbert. That's fine because Herbert looked good. But it just, to me, sends a very poor message. And and I, and I don't think it'll stop free agents from signing with the Chargers. I don't want to go that far. But you don't want to be known as the organization that pulled the plug on on a player that, remember, the team goes into the season thinking that Tyrod Taylor is the leader. And is the leader for five months, and then because of one bad injection, you basically dismiss the guy. I don't, I don't, I don't think it would sit well. But again, that's just my opinion on it. I, I wouldn't do it. But if he plays bad, it's a good I'd, I'd get him out right away. I'd, I'd get him out. Uh, okay, the Rams are two and zero. They're officially Super Bowl contenders again. Kurt Warner, Tory Holt, Marshall Falk, Isaac Bruce, Oz Hakim. Remember him too. <laughs> Especially Super Bowl contenders like they were back in the day. Well, they actually got the Super Bowl two well, years back ago. Back in the day, they were in the Super Bowl two years ago. What are you talking about, man? I know it was true. not a That's memorable true. Super Bowl. I know they didn't no, score. They didn't. That was a horrible Super Bowl. Yeah. It was a horrible Super Bowl. It, as a Patriot fan, even, it was not an enjoyable Super Bowl. I basically sat there going the whole time like, this is this is not really fun to watch. I mean, it's just kind of like a weird chess match. And eventually, the you know, Belichick didn't blink and the other guy did. And that was the game. But... I don't know if I want to put them as Super Bowl contenders yet, but they certainly look better. So I will say this. I think the some of the ills from last year, and you might have pointed them out yesterday too, maybe part of the reason they weren't good last year was Todd Gurley. Starting to look a little bit more like that. I will say this. I think the Rams are certainly playoff contenders again, Super Bowl contenders. I think that's a hot take. Let's give them a, a little bit more leeway. Let's see them against Seattle before we start uh, saying that they're right back in the mix for the big uh, championship. How about you, Craig? Yeah, I, I feel the same way. It's still early, although I will say that I am impressed and they're playing better than I thought. That's that's mm-hmm. for sure. I didn't think they'd look that good. You know, what's really good. Their play action is back to being good again. And maybe it is because of Gurley that he just was not a threat right. out of the backfield. And and now when they fake the handoff, I noticed that a bunch of times against Philadelphia, when they would fake it to Henderson or fake it to Brown, teams would bite. Maybe there was just no threat anymore with Gurley last year. It could be. I mean, it's it's crazy to say that one guy could have affected it that much, but it's possible. All right, now let's go back to the Bengals here. A.J. Green, who struggled out of the gate here a little bit, although, again, a couple weeks ago he almost had a touchdown. Uh, A.J. Green's fantasy starting days are done. This is the hottest take of all. This is so red hot. This is a complete lie. No, in fact, it's the inverse. Go get him everywhere you can. The guy has 22 targets over the first two games. 
And and the first week was against a very good Chargers secondary. That you know, Harris played really well again game, and yet he still had an opportunity there. And this past week, again, they're just missing. These two guys are so close for making fantasy magic. And the two guys being Joe Burrow and AJ Green. I'm telling you right now, there's a lot of people looking at their AJ Green shares, throwing their hands up, getting really frustrated. You need to be the hand there to guide them and to take AJ Green off of their roster and put him onto yours. We are getting so close here to a big AJ Green game. I'm telling you, it's coming down the pike sooner than later. Just missly by an inch or two here. And when these two guys finally get on the same page, I think it's going to be really, really spectacular. So this is a complete hot take, complete lie. Yeah, I mean, I think you're too. I, I I don't agree with everything you said. I mean, I think you're a little overboard on it, but I I don't think that he's done. I wouldn't say that. I mean, the guy hasn't played in a year. It's going to take him some time to get ready and get acclimated again. But unfortunately for Green, Boyd does look pretty good, and that's a little bit of a surprise for me to see that. And again, uh, having uh, Uzuma out now maybe puts Green back in the mix. I still think he's going to play. I still think he's going to play well. I don't know that he's a special guy at this stage anymore. I, I still think the best move the Bengals can make and should make is trading him, and I and I believe that's going to happen. But for now, it's, I don't think his fantasy days are over. I still think he's viable, and I, I think you could start him as wide receiver three. I'd still put him out there. And then finally, Naheem Hines of the Indianapolis Colts. A couple weeks ago, he was one of the hot names on the waiver wire, and then I don't know what happened this past week, but he really wasn't a big part of the game plan. So he was a one-week wonder. Uh, I'm going to say that this is a hot take. I, I think there's some kind of middle ground here and it might've been just the game script of last week. Uh, Jonathan Taylor is certainly going to be the lead back in the backfield. There's no doubt about that after this past week with Marlon Mack out, Taylor got the lion's share and then some of everything going on back there. But I do think Hines will work himself back in. And I think when you look at the game script of that game, maybe just not how, you know, it ended up working out in terms of usage, but you can't go too excited about what you saw week one. Yeah, I think you can get too down about what you saw week two. Let's give it the rest of, let's say, the next two weeks or so to kind of evaluate Naheem Hines. I think it's a little too soon to call him a one-week wonder. But I think what you saw week one is absolutely the ceiling. So I think there's a floor somewhere in between. And if so, that in-between floor could be, especially in a deeper league, a flex running back play some weeks in matchups. So that's kind of where I stand with him. Yeah, and again, it's hard to say that any running back is a one-week wonder given what we saw last week in the NFL. You had, at the very minimum, four running backs who started on virtually every fantasy team that won't be this week. So Naheem Hines, even though he didn't have a great week, could be relevant. Something could happen to Taylor. And so I wouldn't rule any running back out of having a good week in the nature of what the NFL is. This week is going to be very telling to see if the injuries were just a one-week anomaly or if this is going to be happening for some reason throughout the course of the season. So I, I would say that he that Hines is not a one-week wonder, and I think he'll have another good week at some point. It just may require an injury or just some sort of different game plan, maybe being down a lot and catching passes out of the backfield. Okay, we got to take a quick break. You're on Fantasy Sports today. When we come back, who the best NFL team is that's 0-2 at the start of the season. We'll take care of that next on the way. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back. We got a full hour of fantasy sports today for you here on SportsGrid coming up. We'll check in on the Carolina Panthers. Who is the running back to own 
now that Christian McCaffrey is going to be out for a period of time. We'll also discuss the Lakers and Nuggets game three. But, Joe, we are two weeks now officially into the NFL season. And certainly there are definitely some surprises that are 2-0. and And I think the Raiders probably top that list of some of the teams and maybe the Bears as well. Uh, but in terms of 0-2, usually track record tells you that 0-2 is not the end in the NFL. It's the beginning of the end for some teams, but it's not the end. 0-3 is, is almost impossible to to come back and make it. Now, again, with an extra team this year making the playoffs, it could be different. And 0-4 is usually uh, the end of the line. Uh, but let's take a look. Who is the best 0-2 team in the NFL? The candidates for this discussion are the Philadelphia Eagles, Minnesota Vikings, Atlanta Falcons, and Houston Texans. Pick one. Oh, man, I got to tell you, three of these four teams, we talked about it before it came back here, were playoff teams last year. Now, I can't go with the Falcons because they just look completely inept. The defense is terrible. The Vikings defense looks atrocious. I don't think just because Hunter's out that that is enough of a blow to make all of a sudden they just can't do anything right. So my head tells me the Eagles. My heart tells me the Texans. I'm going to go with my heart and Deshaun Watson here. And think that because of that division, I think they can probably get right with some of those teams. So I'm going to go with the Texans here on this one because, I don't know, just something doesn't feel right in Philadelphia to me from watching them the first two weeks. Yeah, I can't figure that out either, but I am going to take Philadelphia in this spot. I can't believe what a sucker I was last week for taking them after <laughs> looking at that line. I mean, well, look, I, you just Texans, had to know. Yeah, and the Texans have played Baltimore, the Chiefs to open the season. So... That's about as tough as it gets. So I'm, I'm going to give them a little bit of a slide here, and I'm going to say the Texans. Uh, look, so I, if, if, I would, if I didn't take Philadelphia, I would take Houston for sure. I'm totally with you on Atlanta. Atlanta's going to win their games this year because they're going to outscore some teams, but they're a six-win team. And the Vikings at, at 0-2, I guess they're the biggest disappointment in the NFL thus far. They look like it. Um, you know, They started off okay last year without Cousins playing well. And they decided to move digs, and I, I didn't think it was that big a deal. It looks like a big deal to start their season. And their defense is just, I, I can't, it's staggered with the defensive coach that they've looked that bad. All right, we'll be right back for hour two here on The Grid. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on The Grid. SportsGrid.com. 